All right. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Across the Aisle. I am former state senator Bobby Zirkin, and I am very honored to have here my good friend, former state senator. Actually, I got more to say on the uh, on the resume, but former state senator Alan Kittleman from Howard County, former member of the county council, former member of the state senate, former Howard County executive and current uh, Workers' Comp Commissioner. Yep, that's me. A lot of public service in this family. Well, my dad taught me all about that, but it's so great to be with you, Bobby. You just, you know, some of my best times in the Senate, I remember you and I working together, and sometimes we'd be debating each other on the floor, but it was always good. We always continued to have that great relationship. And started with basketball. Of course. <laughs> all good things start with basketball, um, except for my knees. But yeah. the, uh, so, so Alan, this, this podcast, just, I know we've talked a little bit about it, but this is about, Honestly, what what you and I lived together for many years, which is looking at public policy, regardless of partisanship, regardless of party, and just focusing on the law, which I know is was always has been, always will be your philosophy as well. Yeah, yep. no, that's how my dad taught me. My dad was a a guy who went to a different drum at different times. He was a delegate for nineteen years and three years in the state senate. And he basically showed me the way that, you know, you do what you think is right regardless. And for him, it was back in the late 50s and early 60s, he worked on the civil rights movement. He was the first white person in Howard County history to join the NAACP of Howard County. To this day, he's the only white person to be president of that chapter. He stood up and people weren't very happy with him, but he said, nope, this is the way it's got to be. And when you have that kind of person, you try to do the same thing. Well, it's an honor to have you here. It's great to be with you. Um, So let me start. Let's start kind of, you, I, know, I know that your father had a tremendous influence on you getting involved in public service. What were you, I don't even know this actually, before you were in the county council, I didn't know you in the county council time. Yeah. What, what were you, like, how did you get into public service? Like, how did you make the decision to run? Again, it goes back to him because we, my dad has three children and I'm the youngest and the other two didn't want to do anything with politics. And he would tell me stories even when I was little, I can't remember, that I was the one that always wanted to go with him. He was a single father. So back in the 60s, a single father raising three kids involved in public service. That's kind of hard for someone to put that around because back in the 60s, it was always the mother who took the children. Right. And this time it was exhausted. My dad kept us. And so um, he was just going out to meetings. And I would go with him. And, and so I got involved. I enjoyed it. And then I actually started supporting candidates with him when I was in elementary and middle school. And then actually in high school, I started supporting a, a board of education candidate on my own. My dad didn't say, you need to help this person. I said, I want to help this person. It was a guy named Noel Myricks, African-American gentleman running for a school board. He didn't win, but I got to be involved in an election campaign. And that kind of got me interested in it. So I went to UMBC and studied politics, local science, and um, kind of went from there. But I was chairman of the Republican Central Committee. I mean, for me, it's kind of funny. My my grandfather was chairman of the Republican Central Committee of his county in Iowa in the 50s. My dad was chairman of Howard County Republican Central Committee in the 70s, and I was chairman in the 90s. So I, I joke when people used to call me a rhino, Republican in name only. I said, how much more Republican can I be? Right. <laughs> so, right. So that's how I got involved, just seeing my dad and, and seeing what he could do. Okay. And so you made the decision right after school to run for county council, or did you I work didn't. as a no, lawyer no, for a I little didn't. while? No, no, I didn't. I took a while. I actually got involved in a ministry called Young Life for a little while, and then I went to law school at night. And it's while I was in law school that I got involved in the Republican club locally. I mean, I was always involved in campaigns with my dad always. Um, and my dad was the first Republican elected to the House of Delegates or to the General Assembly from Howard County in 61 years in 1982. So I was involved in that campaign. And then in 1990, I ran for Central Committee, and I don't know it's successful and became chairman. So it was probably my late 20s when I really started getting really involved. I was always involved, but for myself in the late 20s. And I didn't run for county council until 
1998. So I was, okay. I was, so you're pretty, pretty far yeah, out of law years school. Old. I was 40 years old. I was 40 years old. Yeah. And you were you doing what? Workers comp? I was doing work. I was a workers comp lawyer. I, I went to law school. No one goes to law school to be a workers comp lawyer, but you know, you find a job and you take it. And, and I was very fortunate. Smith Somerville case was the law firm where I was first working at and they were great to me. And I continued on with Herbert and Humphreys and, and thankfully to Governor Hogan, now I'm a workers' comp commissioner. So, well, yeah. we're gonna get to that tour. Yeah. We're gonna try to do this in some chronology. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see where the conversation goes. Yeah. My recollection, all these years, besides the basketball team, which just as long as I got the as ball, as long as the senators beat the delegates in our annual game, that's the only thing that was important. That really was the only thing that was, <laughs> was. important. That was the only thing during that special during the ninety day session that really mattered. Everything, the budget and the basketball game. And I loved it one time after we had defeated the senator, the delegates. Miller, for some reason, someone put something in the paper, and I guess I had hit a couple three pointers that game. And I remember Miller going up, Kittleman's got game. It's just like, you know, <laughs> hey, as long as I pass the ball to Zirkin, we win. So, <laughs> so my recollection of, I mean, I have a million uh, stories about yeah. you and I on the floor because you and I did not serve on committee together. Nope. Uh, um, you were on what, finance committee? I started on EHEA, which I guess is now EEE, I guess they call it now. Then I went to finance in my third year. Okay, and so you were on finance for most yeah, of the most time, of the time yeah. that I was. In fact, maybe all, all the time, time you and that I were was together. There. Yeah, my, you know, I remember. So I was put on that EHEA also for for two god awful <laughs> years. Paula <laughs> Hollinger was my chair before you. The person yeah. before you. Yeah, yeah, she was my senator. Yeah, yeah. She and I, we we were not what you would call simpatico. But anyway, yeah. so. Anyway, so I got put on EHE and would see these bills coming out of the Judiciary Committee, which is where you and I really, you know, could have, should have been, you know, you as a lawyer, me as a lawyer. And so we would look at each other on the floor like, what the hell are they putting out on the floor? And so we started just kind of being in contact. And next thing I remember taking down many bills with you. Always from EHEA. It's funny because that was the committee bills would come out of that shouldn't be on the floor. Right. It's, I mean, JPR didn't have very often, uh, finance didn't have very often, or the budget, but that seemed to happen a lot in EHEA. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember it because they, they would put yeah. them all on a consent count and be like, we're going to vote for all these bills. I'm like, what? I want to pull that one out. I want to pull that one out. <laughs> How about we kill all these bills? But anyway, <laughs> one, of the, one of my starkest uh, recollections of you. And I remember like thinking to myself, this is really how politics is supposed to work. And regardless of whether people agreed with you or disagree with you is I remember yeah. you and same sex marriage, you know, tell me, take, take me back to that story. Yeah. If we, if we had five hours, we could go through it all, but, um, it really started why well, I'd always supported gay rights. Um, when I was a Senator and they were like decision-making bills would come up, you know, saying domestic partnership, be able to go to emergency rooms. I'm like, of course, that's ridiculous. Why wouldn't you let someone go into an emergency room with their with the person they love? And so I remember I would vote for those bills on the floor. And I remember when I was whipped, and this is when Brinkley was leaving, and I was going to go for minority leader. One of the senators, I don't say her name, Nan, uh, Greenup, um, and, and she, Janet Greenup, I, we got along fine, but she came up to me and said, you know, I'll vote for you to be leader if you promise never to support or talk about gay rights on the Senate floor. And I said, I can't do that. And I still got to be leader, which is fine. Um, but Janet Green sat next to me on EHE for a year. I've never seen somebody play so much solitaire during hearings <laughs> in my entire life. Sorry, continue. I mean, I think she's a good person, good heart, but um, I great solitaire any, player. I won't go any farther than that. But um, but anyway, so what happened was in 2010 election, I was leader. 2010 election comes, and there's a rule in the Senate that says that the president of the Senate will confer with the minority leader on committee assignments. 
And conferring back there with Mike Miller meant that he will tell me where people are going to go, which is fine. That's the way it worked. And so I met with him, and he reconstituted JPR. And I could tell that that reconstitution meant that that bill was probably going to come out of JPR, the, the marriage equality bill. Um, and so I had some soul searching to do. I mean, I knew that I would support having fairness for everybody, but I really thought that with my caucus, and I was the leader of the caucus at the time, that I needed to figure out how I could get them to come along. And so what I started with, and you'll remember this, was a civil union bill. And it wasn't like a civil union bill for homosexuals and marriage for heterosexuals. No, it was civil union for everybody. Right. It took it. It essentially took marriage, marriage out of the equation. And I and I went to DLS and said, Department of Legislative Services, I need a bill that takes marriage out everywhere. And that's like, holy cow, how can we do this? Right. And they worked for months on it for me and helped me during the during the interim. And um and that's basically what it was. Is my goal was let marriage be between you and your God or whatever, and let the government just wants to know that you have this license. And I think it makes sense. I still think it makes sense. Um, government should be involved in marriage. But um, it clearly, after talking to people from the PFLAG group in Howard County and Carroll County, because I represented both of those counties in, in the General Assembly, and they were great to me, and they explained to me some of the downfalls of having civil unions. And so I've worked on this bill for a long, long time. And Brian Frosch, who was chair of the committee, came to me one day and said, you know, Alan, we, everyone knows you have this bill out there. You haven't filed it yet. Um, are you going to file it because we have the marriage equality bill coming up and we want to put it on the uh, uh, hearing, but we want to have the hearing the same day as yours to, to consolidate. And so I knew I had to make a decision. I, I should also add that Rob Gargiola, a friend of ours, um, he was a majority leader at the time. Right. And he was sponsor of the bill, um, the lead sponsor. And he yeah, had, the same sex marriage bill. He was. Yeah. I think, of course, with Madeline and others, but I think he was technically the lead sponsor. Okay. At least on 2011. And, and so I sat next to him in finance committee. And he, to his credit, we discussed this a lot. And you know, when you're in your committee, you're next to someone, you can talk about a lot of things. We actually used our little instant messenger and talked so no one knew we were talking. Um, and I told him that I was seriously considering supporting marriage equality. And he says, I said, but don't tell anyone yet because I got to go through a few of these things. And so he and I talked probably for a couple of weeks about that. And so finally, I decided that, you know, there's no, I, I, my civil union bill is not going anywhere. I mean, I was asking people in the far right and left to help me on this, and nobody was going to help me. Right. Um, and so I decided I would support marriage equality. And I remember, because I'm, I'm a fairly strong Christian, and I come from an evangelical background. I was involved in ministry called Young Life, going out to evangelize to young people. And my wife is as well. I didn't know that. And so, um, and so my faith is really important to me. And so I, <laughs> I called my daughter. She was at Duquesne University at the time. And I called her and said, Bailey, I'm going to announce something tomorrow. I don't want you to be upset. But I want you to know. It's a real blessing. First thing she said was, I'm with you. How old was she? was at college at the time? They're probably like 19 years old or something. And she goes, Dad, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. And so I told my wife, no more struggles with my wife, um, and told the rest of my family. And so then I decided, okay, I'm going to make an announcement on Tuesday morning. Uh, and, and, you know, you know how things work in the Senate before. You know, after the session's over, Millard has a little gaggle with the reporters. And then, right. then they'd come around and talk to all of us. And so the night before that, I figured, you know what? If I'm going to make this decision, I owe it to the people who support me to tell them. So I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning 
I didn't stay in Annapolis very often. As you know, I went home. But I just I slept in my office that night, and I just wrote for till 3 in the morning a two-page email or a statement that I emailed out to all my supporters explaining why I was supporting marriage equality. So I remember that morning, that Tuesday morning. We start session at 10 o'clock. I Had remember, you sent it out? I, so that, sent it that out. Tuesday morning, okay, before I, session. I talked to my staff about it a little bit, and I went, okay. And I said, it's, it's like 9.35, and I just hit send, and I walked out the door. And I went to the session, and after the session was over, there weren't very many people left on the floor. Watch and, the wire. You yeah, can pull sorry, that thing yeah. out. No, it's all right. Um, and, um, and after they left Miller, a couple of reporters came over to ask me a couple of questions, and I said uh, – I answered their questions, and they started walking away. I said, I have something else to say you might have more interest in. And they came over, and I said, I'll be supporting you know, the marriage equality bill. And somebody must have told Jamie Raskin, no. congressman, who we see all the time. He was, our, he was your seatmate. He was. And, um, and he and I got along very well as well. And then he was on the other side of the Senate floor, and I remember this like it was yesterday. He jumped up. He ran across <laughs> the floor, and he yelled, the party of Lincoln lives. It's a great memory. That's a great memory. It's a great memory. And I should also say that I was leader of the Republicans until I made my decision. And then they booted you out. <laughs> and they did tell me I had to leave, but I just, we had a closed meeting and I won't talk about what was in the closed meeting, but it was clear that the great majority of them were not happy with me. And I said, guys, you know, I don't have to be the leader. You guys can get someone else to be the leader. Now I have the freedom to speak my mind on the floor. Right. And so, and that's what, and so I worked hard for that. So after that, and, uh, Rob Garagiola was very kind. He said, you know, Alan, why don't you come with me and Rich Madalino and introduce the bill in front of JPR? So I went there that day, and I got a chance to introduce it. And from then on, I was a strong advocate. We passed it in the, in the Senate. It didn't pass the House that first year. Right. And then we were able to pass it in the Senate and the House in 2012. And then the funny thing is Carrie Evans, I don't know if you knew Carrie, um, she was in charge of marriage equality that year, that time for Maryland. So after we passed the bills, it went to referendum. Remember that? I do. Passed overwhelmingly, too. Yeah, well, passed the referendum, but they needed people. And so I used to joke with her all the time. I said, Carrie, because he'd call me and say, Alan, can you go into WBAL? Alan, can you go down to this meeting over here? Can you go over here? Can you go over here? And I was going all over the state of Maryland, you know, talking in favor of marriage equality. And I said to her one time, I said, Carrie, well, why are you always calling me? <laughs> and her point was, you're the only one. Were you the only Republican that voted for in that? In the Senate, in 2011, I was the only one all, everywhere. In 2012, I was the only one in the Senate still. Uh, there were two. I think it was Bob Costa. I can't remember the other person's name on top of my head who voted for it. In that. Oh, Wade Koch. Wade Koch. And those two voted, and that got it over in the House. And so, um, but her point was that, you know, you're the only one we had to go anywhere. And so I, would, I got a chance to do a lot of fun things. I, I got a still picture of me in College Park the night before the election in November of 2012. And on the stage is Steny Hoyer, Martin O'Malley, Rich Madalino, uh, Heather Mazur. You know, all these other people and me. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like who, which doesn't belong? Um, so but it's great memory, and I think it's one of the reasons I, I was meant to be in the Senate. I agree. I, let me just say, I, you know, this is – I'm not a reporter. I don't, I don't have to be objective here. I think it was one of, the, one of the greatest things I saw in my 21 years down there was – the camera's out? We're just going to keep going with it, with, uh, with yeah, audio. That's fine. That's fine. Half, all these things don't do it on Yeah, end. it's okay. Um. It honestly was one of the greatest things I saw. It just was, at the end of the day, you, you know, you, I, I can't understand why people were against it, to be perfectly honest. It was, I, I gave a little speech on the floor. I remember, I don't know, you probably don't remember because I was insignificant to it, but uh, I just said, this is really easy for me. Like, this is not a hard, hard decision. It's, 
you're helping lots of people. If you, if your definition of marriage is that that makes happiness, great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, 60% of the people get out of marriage is divorced. Nobody seems to have any problem with that. But like people want to be with the person they love. Like you're hurting no one and helping all these people. If that's the definition of helps, like this is not a hard or at all, but for your caucus at the time, it was for my caucus. It wasn't hard for me. You know, it wasn't hard I, for I you. It was hard for your caucus, do, but my caucus, it was really. And then you know, and what's sad is before I did the civil unions bill, as I was working on it, I talked to every member of my caucus, either on the phone or in person, and pretty much everyone said we're fine. You can do what you want to do. We might not agree with you, but we're fine. And then once I announced it, all boom, they they were going crazy. Right. On I it. remember not everybody, that. not not everybody, but some of them. And so I just thought it was courageous. And it just showed exactly the way it's supposed to be, right? People can disagree with you. It's fine. I mean, I happen to a million percent agree with you. But it was a courageous move on, you know, it shouldn't have to have been courageous, but it was. But it was just, you were doing it based on what you thought was the right thing to do. And party be be damned. Party be damned. And I can't worry about my primary because why in the world do you run for office if all you're worried about is getting elected? That's right. And that is the mindset that's unfortunate too much now. People just worry about their elections, don't worry about doing what's right. And that's that's true with my Republican caucus back then because I can tell you there are quite a few members of that caucus, not that there were many of us, 12, um, but that voted for it in a referendum. Because they told me later on, we didn't have the courage to vote on the floor, but we voted for it in a referendum. Which is awful. Well, it's awful, but I mean, I do, I feel for them a little bit because they're worried about their primaries. I was raised by someone who said, don't worry about the primary. Right. And you do what you think is right. Because how can I look at myself in the mirror if my, when my, my kids or my grandkids said, what'd you do? Right. Well, that was historic. I mean, that was a big deal. That's was, a big deal for a lot of people. And you were front and center. It wasn't your bill, but like nah. a big play in that. It, it was it one was of the of... one of the things that was inspirational for those of us who actually care about policy. Right. Yeah. And, and I kept I have three big binders that I kept after I left the Senate. Two of them are full of the emails I got from across the world condemning me for what I was doing. And one of people from across the world thanking me for what I did. But I mean, it, <laughs> but it's just kind of funny how people just and, and we can't go. In, I'm sorry. We can't go into it now. But. I mean, the left was mad at me when I did civil unions. I mean, Luke Kleppinger has confirmed it with me and Heather Mazur and Rich Malino that for a while there, people on the left were attacking me because they thought I was trying to kill uh, marriage equality because I was thinking about doing civil unions, which was far from the truth. Right. And then – and Sandy Rosenberg one time had me speak at a class of his at University of Maryland, and Luke came. And I said to Luke, I, here's what I heard, Luke. You can confirm this or not. And what I heard was that I was getting hit from the right and hit from the left. I had nobody supporting me, and then all of a sudden the left stopped. I stopped. I was still getting hit by the right, but the left stopped. And what I heard was that Heather Mazur and Rich Malino on their conference calls weekly about it said, you know, Kittleman's always been with us. So maybe he's not against us. Right. Maybe he just doesn't – maybe he's misguided a little bit, but maybe we should work with him instead of just saying that he's trying to hurt us. And I said, it just stopped. And Luke said, that's what happened. You know what's interesting? You know who else played an interesting role with that was Brochin. Was Jim Brochin? Because Brochin was completely against it. He liked your civil union. He, won, he took my civil union bill and, and tried to amend it on the bill. Right. He tried to do that. <laughs> but like I remember watching him in judicial proceedings committee because he was a no vote on the bill. He was a hundred percent no vote. He would tell me, "I'm not with you. I'm not with you. I'm not with you." Not with you. Like, dude, whatever you want to do. I mean, listen, I'm going to try to k- tell you how to vote. You're a senator. And then all of a sudden, these folks who were coming up, do you remember what happened? <laughs> these sure folks that were coming up who were against marriage equality, I mean, it was some of the most outrageous testimony I've ever seen. They were talking about marriage with dogs and marriage with this and, and aliens or something. And I saw Bro- Brochin was across the way from me and his face was like, he just kept getting more and more like contorted. Like, And so all of a sudden, 
he just switched and he's and he came to me we were in the back room he goes i'm gonna vote for this he's like i'm voting for this bill i'm like what what happened he says i can't be with these people they're like i can't stand with these people who are saying these crazy things i just can't do it i i that can't be my group oh i got some i had so many people attacking me that after the first time when the vote when the senate passed it but the house did i was getting attacked by the republican uh club of howard county and all these different things so finally i just said guys let me come to a club meeting let's have a club meeting and so they scheduled a club meeting they had a little bigger venue there were probably 100 150 people there and the and and I talked to him, and I re- and I brought out the article that George Will, not that George Will, that Ted Olson wrote, saying you know the conservative case for gay marriage. Gay marriage is a conservative issue. You're trying to promote families. You're trying to promote and making sure that people can can raise children and have security and all. I mean, it's a very conservative issue. And so I tried to explain that to them, and I had a bunch of questions for about an hour and a half. And when it finished, this one guy stood up and goes, "You know, we've heard from a statesman tonight." It's over. It stopped. They stopped attacking me. Really? I think he just had to have that. Good for you. I don't know if you call it bloodletting. Yeah. And they didn't always agree with me, but they said, okay, Alan explained to us what he's doing. It's done. Good for you. So you, I should have invited you to mine. I had the same thing from the left, from this group called Jews for Ju- Jews United for Justice. Oh, wow. And I'm Jewish, and yeah. I'm united, I guess, and I'm for justice. Mm-hmm. So, But I wasn't part of this, this group. I mean— their bills, one was worse than the next. It was always like let some murderer out of jail or like throw people, you know, it's, it, everything was this just awful pieces of, and they are attacking me to the same kind of thing. Yeah. So they invite me to this meeting over at my synagogue, Hizikamuna. And so I'm there, there's about, you know, a hundred people or so. Yeah. People are like, yeah. And I went, did, tried to, I tried to do the same exact thing. I went through talking about how we really shouldn't let, you know, just because somebody's 17 doesn't necessarily mean you put them in the juvenile system, right? Like they could be like, you know, I don't know, a murderer or a rapist or something like that. And I go through all the law and the constitution, all these different things. And at the end of it, I had one person come up to me and thank me. The rest of them like looked at me like, yep, we're going to go back on Twitter and attack you. No, no, mine wasn't like that. I'm sorry. Yours was that way. Good for yeah, you, man. I should have no. brought you. No, I don't know if that makes any difference, but I mean, Yet, you know, I think also people do sometimes respect them when they say, hey, he's doing it for the, what he believes in. Right. We might not agree with him, but at least he's honest. I mean, I used to tell people, Paul Pinsky and I sat next to each other my first year in the Senate at the EHE committee, and we didn't always agree on different issues, but we were friends, and we could become friends. And he, at one time, took me upstairs in March, and we went upstairs to this room where there's a TV, and he goes, let's watch March Madness for a while while the committee is going on. And those are the kind of things that make you develop relationships with people where I might not agree with Paul. But I consider him a friend. Yeah. You know, and same with Jamie. I might not agree with Jamie Rascal on something, but I still consider him a friend. And and that's what we're missing now. We're missing that. That is definitely what we're missing. And we're going to talk about that because I, yeah. I want to talk to you about current politics. I want to talk about another story. Yeah. Actually, two more stories. I want to talk about executive because I got my ass handed. You sure to me. did. We'll you talk sure about did. that in a second. Death penalty. Yeah. That, that was, was a hard one for me. That was a hard one for me, too. You and I, you and I walked together on that one because you. Your side, my from my side, very difficult. What do you remember about that? Uh, what I remember is having people come and advocate. And again, I forgot the gentleman's name who came from Legion Shore. Is it Kurt Bloodsworth? Yeah, Kurt Bloodsworth. Bloodsworth. He came and talked to me. That was the guy, for those who were listening, he was convicted of murder, first degree murder. It turned out that DNA evidence exonerated him, like in the nick of time. That was the kind of the story. And so, I mean, I mean, I'm. I'm somebody who believes in justice and believes to make sure people should be, you know, treated fairly and and they should be penalized when they do something wrong. Um, 
But I was listening to people talk about it. Now, it wasn't in my committee. But I was listening to it. And what got to me, and I think I said it on the Senate floor, was this case in England. There was a case in England where there was a gentleman who was, I think, a cab driver or something. And he had this weird condition where his skin would flake. And apparently a woman was in the car. I guess they, they exchanged their hands or whatever somehow touched, and she got some of this flaky. She went out and she got murdered. They tested. They found his DNA on her. Right. And it turned out after they went through everything else, they had trial. It turned out that it wasn't him. And, and I thought to myself, you know what? Life's too precious. And, you know, you can always, you know, find out that someone is innocent and let them go if you put them in for life. Right. But if you put them in for – if you kill them, they don't have that chance. And so, I mean, again, that's the, the only Republican on the Senate floor to vote for that. Is that right? You were the only Republican? Yeah. And, you know, and, I, and I, I was somewhat sympathetic to the arguments. And this one, there are still good friends of mine who are mad at me for this one. And, and I respect that. But um, they're, 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 I remember, you probably remember on the Senate floor in your committee, they probably talked about, hey, what if they're in prison for life and they kill guard? What else can we do to them? You're, you're giving them no penalty. Right. And that was a little bit harder for me. That was a tough what one. What if it's on video and you see them doing it? You know, those are the things where, you know— but I don't think those extreme examples are the good way to do law. You right. need to do law what you think is best. And I think right now having the life without parole is much better because if someone turns out that they're innocent, they should be able to be free. So do you remember that it took a couple of years for them to get that? And yeah. you and I were to get – so I don't know if you remember this part. Our, our law changed, and we tried to do a moderate position for two, for two years. So I'll remind you. You yeah, remind, remind me. Yeah. So, so they had the repeal bill. It, it, they were repealing the death penalty. The House had already repealed it. They came over to the Senate, and my recollection is that they had polled the Baltimore Sun had polled all forty-seven mm -hmm. senators, and like I was a definite maybe. I'm not sure. I was. I could not make up my mind, and I think it was like. 22, 23. You were, you were right there. I was probably the same as you. You yeah. and I were together. Like, I think mm. I'm here. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how I'm going to vote. So it gets to the floor and I still haven't made up my mind. And they, so Lisa Gladden, yeah. Senator Gladden was giving a speech and this one's giving a speech and this one's giving a speech and everyone's looking at, at probably you too, but everyone's looking you for sure. I'm in the back. And everyone's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know yet. I haven't made up my mind. I could not decide. I want, it was one of those, like, I don't want to kill an innocent person, but some of these stories about some of these monsters, those people I'd probably kill myself if I could get the chance. So it's like, I just didn't know what to do. And so the night before I had written an amendment on a napkin. Now it was coming back, remember to this? coming back to me. So I'd had the amendment drafted up, but it was literally on a napkin. And so they come up and Miller thinks he has the Miller president Miller wanted to kill the bill. Yes. He wanted the death penalty to yep. stay in place. Yep. He didn't want any changes to it. So before he calls the vote, I jump out of my seat. I'm like, Mr. President, I have an amendment. <laughs> sure, he's, he's like, happy. I think his words were, you have what? <laughs> and so my amendment was, we're not going to do away with the death penalty, but in addition to all the other bells and whistles that were in the law, you had to either have conclusive DNA evidence. Yes, I do remember this. Yes, yes, Or yes. a Video. videotape of the actual killing. It was kind of like the, uh, yep. you know, the... The, the movie version, like not that anybody ever kills somebody on video. And then the third one was a videotaped confession, uh, interrogation and confession. Cause they used to at least allege that they would do these things right. behind the scenes. Then you'd sign an a confession. So you had to have, everything had to be on video so you could see it had one of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I threw that up there 
and you got up first. You probably don't, you're like, I like this better. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me cover. It gives me cover. I don't want to do the whole thing. This is good. This is good. And Miller looks at you. I'll never forget. He looks at you. He's like, hell. And then Rona Kramer says, yeah, yeah, I'm good with this one too. I'm good. And next thing it was like, bing, 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 bing. And everyone was like, everyone who was kind of like antsy about their vote voted for the amendment. And that got, it got a ton of support. And then the House passed it. So that became the law for a couple okay, of years. Okay. And okay. I remember one of the universities, some university in North Carolina wrote this big law article about it, mm. about how stupid the Zirkin Amendment was. <laughs> <laughs> they completely pinned it, and they were probably right. And so, okay. But no, but that, that, that's also some of the fun of being a senator. I mean, you can do those kind of things. Right. I mean, I enjoy that. I mean, a quick story. Then on this, a quick story by Mike Miller. Because, uh, I mean, hey, we're Republicans, and— you know, I think Mike Treat is fine. I mean, I think he really believed, and we can get this will go to the, the to the election and the and the announcement. But I mean, he always said a senator is a senator, and he treated Republicans with a lot of respect. And and he needed some time. I mean, he wanted to kill the, the death penalty bill. He came to us and said, "Hey, I need your help on this." For most people, not for me. But um, but yeah, he um, one time there was it was a sign die, and I was trying to fight a bill coming from the uh, from the House, and it was a Madalino's delegate bill. And I kept on getting him special order. You know how that works on the last day. I had special order for until uh, the next calendar. And I did like five times during the day. And Miller's like, let it go, let it go, let it go, because it was a pay little bill. And finally, it was like 10 minutes till midnight. And it came up again. I have a special order, Mr. President. And he goes, okay. And Madalino got up and opposed it. And he looked at Madalino and he went, Senator, do you realize what you're doing? Because if you oppose the special order, there are probably five other bills here that could pass. But if you oppose the special order, He's going to get a chance to talk about it. We only have 10 minutes left. He probably has amendments, and this is going to end. And Madeline goes, I pressed my special order. And so we had a vote on it, and I lost. And so, it's a, and I remember Miller looks at me and goes, Senator, you may speak, you may begin. And so I started talking, and the first thing I did, I said, Mr. President, I have three amendments. <laughs> and I held them in my hand. I had three amendments. And Miller said, and I won't repeat what he said. And he slammed down and said, sign it, I. And it was like five of 12. And he ended the session early because he was so mad. And then he said something really explosive, I can't say, after that was done. Um, but, I mean, those are the kind of things where, you know, he's, he's saying, guys, I respect this Republican. He's telling me he's not going to get this bill through. We, he's going to talk it if you don't do it. So just let's go with him. And he didn't try to fight on it. Now, if it was a bill he really cared about, I wouldn't have had a chance to do that. Right. If Mike really wanted it, it, it would have. It would never yeah, have But happened. he always was. Good to me and good to the Republicans. And that's why, you know, I, I didn't hate him like some other people did. I mean, he did things I didn't like, but, you know. I loved Mike Miller. Like, no. I mean, I, I was, too. I mean, he, he probably yelled at me, you know, every, every, it was at least every other day, if not every day when I was chairman of Judicial Proceedings Committee, because he cared. He cared about, I would go into his office and he's like, what, you know, what do you need? Because he would say, what do you need? Because mm -hmm. everybody wanted something. I'm like, I don't need anything from you. I just wanted to come talk about the law. Yeah, he's like, you just want to talk to me? Yeah, I want to talk to you. You're, you're you're the most knowledgeable guy down here. I want to I want to pick your brain about some of these crazy bills that are down here. Yeah, when I, I loved it. That's all the time we have for today's episode of Across the Aisle podcast with Senator Bobby Zirkin. Please head to part two for more of this episode. Thank you again for listening to Across the Aisle podcast with Senator Bobby Zirkin.